This show brought to you by Circle of Seven Productions, www.cosproductions.com. Please be sure to subscribe and welcome to our circle. Well, hello, everybody. This is Patricia W. Fisher with Readers Entertainment Radio, and it is Caffeine Awareness Month, which I'm sure if any of you follow me on social media, you know I'm very much in love with coffee, and I'm always aware of it. Um, It's also Women's History Month, so if you've got someone that you want to learn more about, uh, please do. Please investigate. There are fantastic, fantastic stories out there. Um, It's Girl Scout Week. So Girl Scout cookies are out and about, which is always good. And it is – I have two – personal things to say today. So one is it's my 21st wedding anniversary, but it's also the 22nd year of our first date. And my husband being very organized and an, and an engineer made sure that he didn't have a lot of dates to have to remember in our relationship. So he made sure that we, we were able to get, we got married a year to the day of our first date. So happy anniversary, my dear. And one of my very good friends, Leslie, who is a, an emergency room nurse in Dallas, I wanted to give her a big happy birthday today. And it's also COVID-19 Global Pandemic Day, which is delightful to share with my uh, anniversary date, but it is what it is, and we will just keep on moving forward. And one of the things that a lot of people have done this past year is read a lot more. And there have been a lot of writers that have come up with some amazing, amazing stories. And one of those writers is here with me today. She has her debut novel, but it is not her first time she's written. Honey Parker has co-authored several business books and written and sold several screenplays, which per Hollywood tradition are circling various levels of that place known as development hell. Honey is a veteran advertising writer and creative director for big agencies in New York and Los Angeles, and she eventually co-founded her own creative shop in Park City, Utah. Somewhere in the middle of all that, Honey began doing stand-up comedy in clubs and on TV and won several coveted funniest person in advertising, which brought no sash or cash. Honey is married to her best friend and business partner, Blaine, or as Honey's father referred to him, the man who took her off the market. In her spare time, Honey and Blaine run an ad agency, speak to small business owners around the globe about profitable branding, and co-host the weekly podcast, Couple Co., uh, working with your spouse on for fun and profit as the most Amateur of athletes, they've raced together in full and half marathons and triathlons. Honey, other accomplishments include being a performer at various club med locations around the world, sailing the North American Fireball Championships despite the fact that she cannot sail, and sparring with world famous world female boxing champ, a feat which Honey is most proud of that she's neither bled or cried. You can find her at her website, Facebook, Instagram, and Amazon, and her book, Carefulish, is out now. Welcome to the show, Honey. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you for having me on your anniversary. Yes. Uh, we went to Top Golf last night. It was um, They ran it beautifully. Like They had separate things up, uh, you know, plexiglass, and the servers were all wearing masks, and we walked in with masks, and everybody was being – it was just – it was good. It was perfect weather here in San Antonio, so we were glad to get out of our house. It was, And the kids were very happy to get out of the house and hit something that they could hit that was okay, like <laughs> a lot of golf balls. Um <laughs> So, yeah, but it was good. Um, so you have been – how did you get into writing in the first place, like screenwriting or any kind of writing? Oh, my gosh. Well, I started in advertising as an art director uh, because I, okay. I could always draw. You know, that was that was my thing. Uh, but when I got into advertising, I really was kind of drawn to the writing side, and I was fortunate enough to be partnered with somebody who, you know, he was a writer and he let me kind of give it a go. I said, do you mind if I um, write these next few ads, if I take a shot at that? And he was, he was way more senior than I was and um, what a great mentor. And that's why I started writing. And then the um, contest funniest person in advertising came up and my friend said, you should really enter that. And I thought I should really enter that. Yes, and I will. You get there, and you're like, ah, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Um, but I actually, I won my night, and I won the next night, and I won the whole thing. And I was written up in the New York Times, and I started to get invited to do private events, and that was kind of the beginning of my writing career. And how long ago was that? <laughs> A long time ago. I there don't you know. go. It, All right. The year started with nineteen. <laughs> You know, I have the hardest time with that, too. It's like, that was in, oh, wait. Yeah, because and sometimes I'll go and, 18. No, wait, that wasn't that long ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would have been amazing. 
1990 something. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Were you always a big reader with, um, cause you've written the book, but I mean, and you've done screenplays, but was your love of storytelling through reading? Sadly, no. I, I wish I could say it was. I actually um, had a challenge with reading, and I did not read a book. I literally did not read my first book until I was a freshman in college. Wow. And with, my sister used to... Or just like yeah, a... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And my sister, we didn't know it. Uh, sure. So my sister was like a book eater. She would go into her bedroom at night and the next day it would be done. And I'm like, how does that happen? That's like a magic trick. And I couldn't even read cliff notes. That was too much for me. Um, So I came to it late. um, And when I finally figured out how to read, I thought this is amazing. And like every book was a trophy. I used to, like, I couldn't get rid of my books. Um, Right. And I started with Michener. (laughs) Oh God, that's, that's really jumping in the very deep end of the pool there. (laughs) I know, but I'm a huge Michener fan now. Yeah. That, it reminds me of, um, I don't know if you ever saw the remake of Born Yesterday. It was with John Goodman and Melanie Griffith and John, Don Johnson. Of course and I did. Melanie yeah. Griffith and Don Johnson. Yeah. And I and have seen the moment, original as well. Right, right. And so the the moment when he gives her the book to read, the you know, about the government and all this is like super dry. Um, and she's having to look up every other word because she's just so frustrated yeah. by it. Um, I, ha- I tell it, my daughter's got dyslexia, and um, she's been very okay. frustrated. She spoke a little bit later, and I kept thinking, you know, something's up. She'd always flip words around. She'd say, turn it up, it's too loud. You know, I mean, those kind of things. And um, mm-hmm. my husband and I are both in, the, in pediatrics, and so we're like, something's off, you know. Um, and it took forever, a lot of advocating to get her di- diagnosed. But, yeah, I, I keep telling her that story of, and this person just kept trying and finally, you know, got a dictionary that sat next to her instead of her having to, like, because they're at the library in the scene. So she's having to get up and go get, go to look it up. Um, so, yeah, it's like you just keep trying. You just keep finding what well, works for you. Well, I mean, you. it's, yeah, and it's definitely frustrating for me writing a book, a novel, because mm-hmm. I'm constantly stopping and looking things up. Constantly. Yeah. Um, and, there, and there are times where I'm just like, I'll deal with it later you know, just, just plow forward. Um, but I, I remember when you're talking about signs uh, that nobody picked up on. I played basketball in high school and I remember we were in an away game and it was between halves and uh-huh. just everybody's got balls and, and you're just throwing it hoops all over the place. And, and there were the hoops at either end of the court. And then there were hoops, two hoops on the sides of the court. But it was only right. on one side. And on the other side, there were bleachers with people. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm going to go and do this layup into this hoop because no one's there. Right. And right. I chucked the ball at the bleachers <laughs> full of people. <laughs> and <into> the horror. <laughs> yeah, wrong It's side. like that slow motion. No. <laughs> I wasn't with my hands. I realized what I had done. Nice. Yeah, it wasn't nice. great. Oh, my. Yeah. Well, you know, we are all get to be young and impulsive at one yeah. time or another. But, so, you know, yeah, I actually all... think it, it, it helped me with um, being able to speak in public and doing stand-up because I would always opt to do an oral report in school. Right, um, right. Because somehow people thought that was harder. And I was like, really? Because I'm just talking. But okay. Yeah. Yeah, I've actually, um, I have four kids. The two in the middle have dyslexia. And and it's, uh, there have been times where they'll come up with, you know, they're, they have to write a report and they're just looking at me like they would just rather like pull other hair out with tweezers. And I am like, okay, so this is what we're going to do. You're going to tell me about this and we're going to record it. And I'm going to send a video to your teacher. And because we've been doing virtual learning for a year, um, and mm-hmm. there's still wine in my house, how I have no idea. I don't know how my liver is still working, but whatever. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so it, it's that thing of, okay, this is what we're going to do. And I still have them go through the basics and try. But writing is hard when you're 
15, you know, 12 or whatever, um, and then happy to write it in a way that's cohesive and whatever. So, yeah, I think the oral report is a big deal. Um, it's, it's definitely could be an option for a lot of kids. I'm sure. Like you're saying, it's like, please don't make me write this or, you know, (laughs) let's not do that one. So, um, and it's good for public speaking. I mean, you're going to have to talk to people. It's great for public speaking and, and which leads to being able to think on your feet, uh, when somebody asks you a question and, and that's fantastic. Right. Body language and, you know, but just being able to stand up in front of a group is huge. Right, reading the room, all that. Yeah, yeah. And so you're doing all this. You're you're in advertising. You're the funniest person. You're doing stand up, and somewhere in this mix, <laughs> well, you're very funny. Um, you're, you're doing all this stuff, and then you meet a guy. How did you meet your husband? Ah, uh, well, I I met him. I actually I met him. In my backyard. So they always say, you know, you have to leave your backyard to meet somebody, which, of course, you don't. Um, You don't. (laughs) You don't. So he met me before I met him. Um, My best friend, when I I moved to L.A., this this woman just turned into my best friend in two seconds, uh, Janet Murphy. And it was her birthday. And she had been so good to me. And she was having a party. And she hates the song Happy Birthday. Okay. Um, and I thought, well, she deserves a song. So I got uh, the music from Ain't Misbehaving, and I changed the words, and I did this song about her. And my, my now husband was there. Um, okay. But he had just broken up with his wife and was in a mood. Um, oh, And yeah, said sure. something like, well, this is going to be stupid. And <laughs> Janet said, shut up, this is for me. And he shut up, and apparently he was taken – and then he saw me at, I think I was performing at um, the Comedy Store in L.A., and he saw okay. me, and he kept emailing Janet, and so I knew he was interested. And sure. then one day he was over, and we were both kind of hungover from different parties, and we sat under an avocado tree for hours and just talked. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I never dated anybody after that. Yeah, it's it's interesting how that all falls, and it's, um, it it just it's nothing that you can actually explain without it sounding really trite. You know, you just knew you right. talked for hours, and and people are like, blah, blah, blah. you know, and it's like no, but really, I mean, it's just I don't know, I I don't know how to explain it in a way that doesn't sound, you know, canon. I knew there I was mean, something yeah. different. Um, mm-hmm. And he had great hair. He has great oh, hair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. which is fantastic. I mean, the best was how he met my parents, which was yeah. um, I was doing, so I had like a regular gig at the comedy store. I was there like every Wednesday. And my parents were coming out to visit from the East Coast. And so I knew they'd meet. Like, otherwise I wouldn't have introduced them. <laughs> Why? Sure. Um, and right. so I did my whole set about my parents. So everybody in the audience knew they were there. And uh, my parents who are represented in this book, um, and at the end of my set, I said, now what my folks don't know is the fellow I'm seeing is in the audience. We're all going to play a game called Guess Who Honey's Dating? <laughs> and that's how they met him. <laughs> nice. Was he in on that um, discussion before you said it? Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't have thrown him okay. under the bus like that. I asked if he was okay. Yeah, The guy running for the door, that's him. <laughs> <Back on. laughs> That would have been perfect. Yeah. Everybody guess. Oh, it's the guy running. Um, So what, I mean, tell me, you know, a lot of people talk about performing at the comedy store. I mean, that's like a huge big deal because it's not like you can just walk in and say, I'm funny. And they go, okay, can you work on Wednesday? I mean, there's an audition process and how does that work? Well, Honestly, you kind of almost can, at least back when I was doing it. Um, I found, because I had a manager, but what I had found was the easiest way to get on stage was to just show up. Okay. You know, and just just start talking to people, not, not to be a pest, um, but just be willing to ask. And, um, yeah. 
and I almost any stage I wanted to get on, I was able to just get on. Yeah, just that persistence and just keep talking to people. Yeah, exactly. And then once you know somebody and somebody's seen you perform someplace and, and, you know, one thing leads to another and you kind of network and, oh, well, I'll, you know, so-and-so is doing, has a show. And it was, it was a lot of that. Someone would run a show and they would need X amount of people to fill their show, you know, whether it's sure. five or seven or, and so you start making friends with people and, get invited to do more shows and then once somebody knows that okay you can you can actually put it together they invite you back right wow it's how big is i mean how big is the comedy club the la comedy club is it is it like a decent size or i mean small um yeah i can't get a good idea from the pictures well it's got different the comedy store's got different rooms you know, they've got okay. their big room, they've got their upstairs room, and then they've got their side room downstairs that's like a good, you know, like if you're there regularly, you're doing pretty okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, the the big room was big. Okay. So if you ended up in the big room, it was a big deal, right? Versus, okay, you're going to yeah. have this closet with four people today. That's your room, you know. Yeah, yeah, I I did I did a lot of closets. <laughs> I formed a lot of closets. There you go. Well, you know, everybody starts somewhere, right? You got to build, work your way exactly. up, and build a trust. So you're you're doing all this, and then you've taught. You also have screenplays. What what was the general genre that you wrote for screenplays? Um, we were mostly romantic comedy. Um, okay. I mean, comedy it just you know makes sense for us. Um, sure. We were never too broad. It was all very kind of plausible, um, and we like stuff with heart. And yeah, one of our our romantic comedies was kind of like an action romantic comedy, and we, you know, it was all we did a team, we all kinds of stuff. And, did and that you, was with my husband. Right? Did you pull from people's stories about meeting as as the couples, like inspiration for the couples in the stories, or was it like from the headlines or a mix or what would be cool? That kind of, I mean, was it just brainstorming? How did you come about them? Um, you know, it's, it's always different. The very first thing we wrote together, um, Pam Wallace, who co-wrote the movie Witness, um, mm-hmm. who actually wrote one of the, the blurbs on the back of my book, um, she knew my husband, Blaine, and she had had an idea for kind of like an action comedy. And she asked him if he would write it because she doesn't do comedy. And he okay. said, well, I'll, I'll write it if you don't mind if I write it with Honey. And we were, we were just dating at the time, which I thought was a wacky thing for him to put forward because we'd never talked about working together. And right. so she said, fine. And we started writing it and the story evolved and it became a romantic comic. We just put romance in everything. We just like when people hook up. <laughs> sure. Um, so, so that's kind of how it started. She had had this idea um, about something set in the rap industry. And, and it went from there about somebody being falsely accused of something and, and it took off. Kind of a chase type romance. Well, yeah, kind of like, do you, did you ever see the film 48 Hours? Yes. With, yes. Uh, okay, so so if there was romance in that, that's kind of the closest thing. You know, if right. wasn't so a, it, if Yeah, wasn't, it was Eddie Murphy and Nick Nolte, right? Comedy. Yeah. No, that was 48 Hours. This was, um, it was Robert De Niro and Charles Grodin. Oh, oh, oh. That's right, that's right. Okay, yeah. And and really funny, probably funnier than yeah. most, but there you go. Well, it's interesting because people are like, oh, romance. But it's, it's, there are so many movies that are romances and people don't know it because stuff's blowing right. up or, you know. Um, Red is an example of a romance. Um, it's, it's a major romance. The whole point of that movie is he wants to meet her and be with her. That's the whole motivation. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I love that. There, there'd be no movie, but so much stuff is blowing up 
But people are like, yeah, it's an action comedy. It's like, really? It's an action romance. So right. just so you know. I love an action um, romance. I, and, yeah, those are, those are just a lot of fun. And, and the, the timing in it and everything was just so brilliant. And I know part of that was the, the delivery. But, yeah, I, I think action romances are just so fun to watch for sure. Um, and so we get to um, screenplays, and now we are talking about now you have your first book. So what was the catalyst? Yeah. You've written all this, you've done advertising and, and you've done screenplays. And now what is the catalyst to write this first book? Well, uh, really it was the pandemic. Um, right. So what happened, what happened was uh, my husband and I have a weekly Zoom call, how very COVID, uh, with friends of ours <laughs> who are on the East Coast. And we were we were talking, you know, every conversation, it would come up like these wacky things, these, just these nutty things that people were doing during COVID to kind of get by. And like how the human animal has evolved and just the nutty things that we do. And I love human behavior. And right. um, one, one of the gals on the call who's connected to a major network um, said, you know, you should really write, you should write a sitcom. And I said, I should write a sitcom. So I wrote a pilot for Carefulish in a day. And the next day okay. I wrote an outline for the whole season. And typically I wouldn't have done that because I know that almost nothing ever gets made. But sure. I had this one person with one connection and I thought, why not? And yeah. so, of course, nothing happened. <laughs> and And about a week later my husband said, you know, you really should write it as a novel because that way you don't have to wait for anybody to green light anything. At the end of right. the day, you will have something. It will exist in space and you will have a novel. And I said, okay, I'll, <laughs> I'll write a novel. And I must have been like a week or so into writing. And he said, by the way, it really needs to be at least a trilogy because it's got to be a series. So, I've actually right. finished the second book. It's being proofread now. Um, but so, so it's a trilogy, and then there's also going to be a prequel and a novella. Nice. So what is your timeline oh. for all of these? So you've got uh, Carefulish out now, and then the next Carefulish one. is out now. I'm hoping the next book, which is Daughter of Carefulish, will be available probably in about a month, maybe a little more than that. Uh, okay. Later this year, I'm hoping the third book, which is Bride of Carefulish, uh, okay. will be out, and I will be started on the prequel. You know, and, and, and too, it was just, yeah, it, 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 with you writing it like this, um, people are always looking for new projects. So it's not, it wouldn't be unusual for someone to come to you and go, well, I've read it, it's got trilogy, we could make this something on TV or a series or a short, you know, um, like a, oh, like I I grew up with movies of the week, but you know what I mean? Like, you know, you could do a story arc of it uh, type thing and it could all go on Netflix and people could binge it in 12 episodes or something, you know, um, that kind of thing. I I mean, that's for that. Yeah. No kidding. And I could say, (laughs) I interviewed her way back when. Oh, I'm going to tell everybody. Y'all catch up. When you're writing this book and you're writing about all these, what was the, you know, cast of characters you came up with? Why that particular cast? Were those the ones that spoke to you the most? Were they based on people you knew? You know, how'd that work? In general, so what I wanted to do, my thinking when I started the book was, um, and it's set in New York City, because I wanted everybody to really be on lockdown. Like like here in Park City, Utah, I'm hiking a lot. Um, you know, there's a lot of outdoor things that I can still do. And I didn't want that to be available to these people. I, I really wanted right. to be them on lockdown. Um, and so that's why the setting. And they're in their, like, late 20s. Um, I had been single in New York in my 20s. And there are a lot of stupid things that you do if you're single sure. in, in New York because they just seem fun. You know, and so I wanted that. And then 
I wanted to cover a lot of different industries to see how it impacted, how COVID impacted people in different positions, like somebody, a restaurant worker, somebody in financial, somebody in the news, somebody who just worked retail, um, things, you know, so I wanted that mix. I wanted a mix of ethnicities um, Uh and, and, and income levels. And the reason all these very different people are friends is just because they knew each other in high school. And they weren't all great friends in high school, but there's just something about when you move to New York and you don't know anybody and it's like, Hey, there's Joe from biology class. And you just, all of a sudden Joe's a great friend because you need to create your family. And, and so that's why they're together. Cool. And were these based on people that you, I mean, I know a lot of times people are like, well, maybe, but I'm not saying, Um, Uh, you know, some, you know, it was interesting to me when, because I asked my husband when he was done, which character is most me? And, and the funny thing is, is most people get it wrong because, because (laughs) I've got this character, Steph, who's Jewish and her parents are a hundred percent based on my parents. I made them a little more broad. Um, right. But, but those are my folks because I love my folks and I have a great relationship with them and somebody should have them. Um, and she's yes. here. So everybody thinks that's me, but, but my husband knew right off that Kimmy, the Asian lesbian is, is really me because she was nice. totally commitment phobic and all of that and very sarcastic. And so she's the closest to me of anybody. Um, and I loved writing my parents into it, um, especially uh, the conversations with Steph and her mother. That just kind of hits my heart. My mother um, passed away at the very beginning of COVID, April 5th. And so this just gave me more time to chat with her. Yeah. So. It's, I, I love that about um, characters and creating them because you, keep, you get to put those aspects, those wonderful, quirky you know, positive or negative or whatever aspects of people yeah. you really care about into those characters and they just keep going. And I love quirks. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I just, I collect quirks. I totally do. I make notes when somebody does something kind of ridiculous and wonderful. I make a note to myself. I'm, I'm going to give it to somebody. I mean, but people, people remember quirks. They don't remember that. Yeah. You know, your hair was flawless all the time, or your, you know, you always had uh, whatever. I mean, they they remember the quirks. That's what yeah. is so fun. That's the best stuff, like, and that makes the best stories. Yeah, because we're all kind like, of uh, we're all kind of broken a little bit. Oh, for sure. Yeah, one of the things my grandmother used to do is she grew up in, um, you know, the Deep South, rural Mississippi, and she was orphaned by the time she was five, and. So she's living with a wow. step-grandmother, and um, so here she is. She's in her 70s, and we were looking for something, and we open up this drawer, this cabinet, and she's got all of these jars, like empty jars, and all of these lids. And then she has a whole drawer full of rubber bands, <clears throat> and we're just like, why do you have all this? And she's like, well, she wouldn't admit she could never figure out which lid matched the jar, but what she would do uh-huh. is she's like, well, I can't ever figure out, I, I can't ever get, you know, the right lid. So um, she gets wax paper, puts it over the lid, over the opening of the jar, and then just adds rubber bands until a lid fits. And that's oh how God. she stores leftovers. And um, because if they never, you know, you didn't have anything. So she like, she'll clean wax paper. And, and, you know, at this point, they're retired and they're comfortable financially, but she would not you know, don't, don't throw that jar away. I mean, because it's just, yeah, yeah, fear. And, but it, it almost got to the point when, you know, after she passed away, we're like, do any of these lids fit these jars? Do like, she just messed it <laughs> up and not, you know, so we were all on the floor, like, okay, does this match? Does this look like, I mean, we're like literally like puzzling it. Like, okay, I don't know where these jars came. I mean, it was just, it was amazing to see. What um, but it was, yeah, it was one of those moments you're just like, laughing at each other um about it and those wonderful quirks are just are just fabulous and so yeah one of the things i really love about your book is in in one of the videos you put up is someone wrote to you about the permission to laugh can you tell us a little bit about that oh yeah well that that person in particular um so in addition to dealing with covid like the rest of us 
Um, also, uh, she's in Napa, and um, with the most recent fires, pretty much lost everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so devastation. And she got the book, and she crawled up in a chair one night and read the whole thing cover to cover. And she told me this. I just I was blown away. So she read the whole thing cover to cover and laughed out loud. And she said it was cleansing and Mm-hmm. She just loved that she could laugh again, right? And and to me, laugh laugh is you know hope. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's it's um, so, it's one of those things that you're like, okay, maybe I'm I'm drifting back to center a little bit, that I can mm-hmm. not laugh hysterically like in hysteria, like everything's falling <laughs> apart, you know, and just like. Right. Um, <laughs> One of those meltdowns like, of like crying, laughter. Like yes, like insert evil laugh here. Um, right. Yeah, it. You know, <laughs> I'm picturing Phoebe when she would, you know, from Friends, she's like, oh, <laughs> she's doing her evil laugh. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I think that's it, those those moments of of giving yourself permission. Like she was allowing herself, and you gave her that catalyst. I mean, that had to be and, feel, you know, yeah. That was amazing. It's one of the reasons that um, even though this happens during a relatively politically heated time, I don't get into politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, and not that I don't have opinions, but there are other people doing that, and that's not what this was about. Right. And um, so that actually became more challenging for me for the next book, um, but still am not, um, am not embracing that. We're We're just living with people and our quirks and what's wonderful. And, you know, I am ruining their lives and making them solve it, but they will. <laughs> Break them apart, put them back together. Break them apart, put them back together. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Right. Because nobody wants to see everything good. I mean, we, we know, we want to see the middle, you know, like when it's all messed up and what are they going to fix? How are they going to fix it? Right. And, you know, you never, you know, life is, is such a pendulum you know, one moment when something goes right and you're like, oh, my God, why did I have to worry about anything? This is, it's great. And then, and then something comes up and slaps you back down again. And, right. And you've got to work your way back up. But that just, you know, it keeps, it keeps happening. And um, they, they, my, my six people have each other to kind of help each other work, work their way back. I have talked to so many authors that have, um, well, of course, writing like writing furiously, trying to, and it's been difficult in the pandemic and the political climate in the past several years. Um, but how did you embrace that creativity? Did you just kind of just cut everything out in the world and, and isolate or mentally? Or how did you pull into that create, creative space? Um, you know, I think for me it was really um, cathartic. Uh, I I had told myself because I started writing this pretty much towards the beginning of the pandemic that I was living in a writer's retreat. You know, I created this fantasy okay. for myself that right. that this is where I was. And I've always been the kind of person that when when I'm having a hard time, it's I get through it by making something. Okay. Um, and so I just started writing, and I've. I was averaging about 2,500 words a day. That was, that was, that's kind of my sweet spot. Um, yeah. I've done 3,000 words a day, um, but it's not a, requ- if I make that a requirement, it's a problem. If it happens, that's great. Um, sure. But that amount of writing and kind of disappearing into the world of these people every day, um, that kind of, I've, I've really looked forward to hanging out with them. They make yeah, me laugh. I mean, because yeah. they. No, I was going to say, you know, you're you're a writer. Um, once you start to you create these people, they start to make some decisions for themselves and tell you what they want to do. And right. so that was fun. Yeah, you know, I, that it's was funny. I, mean, I, I had one to, point. Oh, go ahead. Go no, ahead. go ahead. Well, it's you funny know, at one because point in the book, something don't... happened. Yeah, you go. <laughs> I'll be quiet. You go. <laughs> no, that's all right. Uh, something happened between Kimmy and the Joy that I hadn't planned on, and I was like, "Well, 
you got yourselves into it. <laughs> Here you go. Right. And so yeah. I just let it happen. And then it's like, you all better tell me how to get out because, you know, y'all got in. Right. <laughs> so I don't want to be fighting, figuring out how to get you out. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's always interesting to talk to other writers. And it's just this beautiful, just like um, acceptance of, yes, we talk to imaginary people and it's normal. Um, it's totally fine. Uh or even like we were, my daughter and I, she's, she's starting to write and we were joking about search histories on computers Mm -hmm. and she writes, uh, you know, the uh, more of a fantasy type thing. And so she was talking about it and she, she looked at me a couple of days ago. She's like, do you know if you stick yogurt in a dead body, it'll decompose faster. And I went, okay, I'm not even sure what to even do with that comment. And then we started thinking about, how much yogurt you would have to put in a body and then where would you just like and I'm just driving down the you know like do 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 we're just going to her music lesson and it's like so you know what you know what would you it's, I don't know it's weird um so yeah well, now I'm it's, concerned uh, cuz I eat a lot of yogurt yeah right it's like well okay but my understanding is that the body has to be dead and I'm thinking well how do you get it in there i mean like I don't even want to know. I didn't, I'd not look up anything, but I mean, um, cause it's just a rabbit hole. I don't want to go down. Uh, but yeah, and I don't write crime, so I'm good. Uh, but yeah, it was very interesting. I have a friend who works, uh, in forensics. I'm actually going to write him and say, is this true? Um, and see if that's, that's true. My niece is going for a career in forensics. I should, I should mm-hmm. ask her if she knows that she'll love it. Yeah. There's actually my understanding, and um, and I've talked to some other friends this week. <laughs> I, I promise you, nobody should be worried. Um, but uh, <laughs> you know, they have the body. They have the body farm in Tennessee, um, where they you know see the levels of decomposition of bodies and such. But apparently, they've set one up near the border because uh, the Texas border, because of the heat, and you know they were figuring out uh, time of death and all this other stuff. And what they found out is they were seriously overestimating because of the weather, um, that bodies decompose a lot faster, you know, in these different climates. So it was very interesting to have this conversation the other day with uh, other other writers. It's like, oh, well, I didn't know that yeah. either, so good to know. <laughs> All right. Wow. And so it was a very different topic from what we were discussing just a few minutes ago. Um, and that's <laughs> yes, what happens. And that's what happens when you talk to writers. They just go on a tangent. Um so, so you've got oh, your my, my husband and I are constantly because he's yeah. a writer and he's constantly looking things up and he's sharing like these crazy random facts with me and I'm like okay <laughs> right well my husband's an engineer by trade and then he's a, a an MD and so sometimes he's like okay wait 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 what are you talking about right now <laughs> like, oh, hold on <laughs> let me double back to where you lost me um but yeah, so we were talking about you know you going into your mental space to to read uh, to to create, but you're creating mm-hmm. your own escapism so you could create escapism for others in this process. Right. Yeah. I mean, how did that feel when yeah. that book was in your hand and then people started writing you saying or calling you and saying, "Oh my gosh, thank you so much for giving me this space to just like cut everything out." Um it was it was almost surreal, you know, um, when you write a screenplay that gets bought and never gets made, it sure. just is the creative exercise and, and you enjoy writing it and, 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 then, and then that's it. And mm-hmm. this kind of all of a sudden had a life, which, you know, you, you don't know, you're, you're in a room and you're, your head's in your computer and you're just writing and, and who's going to read it? Maybe no one. Um, mm-hmm. And and so and relatives were saying that people they knew were calling them and letting them know okay. how much they loved the book. And then and then all of a sudden, people started taking their picture with the book. Yes, I and saw posting that. it. And mm-hmm. like I never asked anybody to do that, and that just started happening. Um, just, um, you know, when when the gal in Napa told me 
how it helped her. I mean, I didn't know what to say. I almost cried. Um, sure. But yeah, it just blew me away. The, the, and how connected some people are to it and, and they're worried, you know, what's going to happen if Jackson's parents come home and see what they, what he did to the apartment and, you know, this and that, and, and they're concerned and that just, I'm I'm blown away that people got that deep in. I love it. Oh yeah, I mean yeah, and I think too it's it's just you know I laughter and escapism is seriously under undervalued I think uh, in a lot of ways because if we just need it, it. You can't be serious all the time. No, and uh, I did a like a Zoom book club. I sat in our book club and th- another gal who's who also lost her mom during COVID. Uh, and she came to the book club dressed as she imagined the joy would dress. And she had this flowing chiffon. She had scarves over her her lamp, and, and she was 100% in. And I thought, oh, my wow. God, she dressed up like the character, and that's how much happiness. And her book was tabbed. She had tabs and notes all through the book. And she's like, wow. I love this saying. I'm going to use this saying. And I just I couldn't believe it. It was great. Well, I, I you know I usually have seen people dress for like historical stuff, but like contemporary, that just sounds so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> and then I felt like a slacker because I hadn't dressed up at all. You know, I had like jeans and a top on. I don't even know if I had shoes on. <laughs> Probably not. I don't wear a lot of shoes yeah. now. But, right. Uh, you know. What for? You know, that right? was that was a ton of fun. And people love the joy. People, I get so much feedback on her that uh, that's been that's been happy making. So why the, the title Carefulish? How did you come up with that title? Uh, because because everybody, you know, it's that kind of shaming culture that we're in where somebody feels like they're being careful and this other person isn't being careful. But... Mm-hmm we're all just kind of being careful-ish because we're being careful except for we all kind of, well, yeah, but I do this thing, but that's okay because, and we, you know, excuse it away and rationalize it. And and so we're all kind of careful-ish, and that's as close as we'll ever get. Um, you know, like I, I do my hikes and I have my mask with me and when I see somebody coming close I put my mask up and I'm sure there's somebody who thinks why are you even going out and taking a hike that's not careful enough and so I'm careful-ish right right I mean we're all trying to do the very best it's just like as as much as we can um but yeah the people who are just like blatantly running through grocery stores screaming with no mask you're like really oh my gosh yeah that (laughs) I've, I've that's that's just madness to me I mean on one level, it's good comedy, but in general, it's, it's just bad behavior. Don't do that. Oh, yeah, I don't but, quite understand it. It's just so juvenile and, like, petulant. I just, I don't, this whole, you know, me, and it's like, yeah, but there's all these people standing here, and it's just not you. So well, and I I'm don't go understand, like, would that, it, person, would that person say, you can't force me to wear a seatbelt. Um, you know, you're taking away my rights. Um, right. I don't, I don't know. It just it just kind of seems kooky to me. And you get that fun mask, which is another place to wear flair. You could do something zippy with it. I do love the flair. I do. Um, I have gotten some very cool masks. So they're good conversation starters, really. Um, they're great. With, I actually made stuff. myself yeah. a mask that's like from the cover of the book with a, a martini on it. You did. I see it right here. Um, so I will be ordering, uh, very quickly here. Um, so, <laughs> so if you, so those of you listening, there is, if you go to honeyparkerbooks.com and at the very top, it says mass on the far right. And you can order a very cute mask and one has got the book title and on it. And, and the other one's got a really cute little, uh, martini glass with olives in it. So, and if you read the book, you can laugh until olives come out of your nose. Correct. Yeah, Mr. Parker wrote that. <laughs> it would hurt, but people would laugh. So probably not it the person the olive came out of their nose. <laughs> and now I'm like, pitted or not pitted? What would be right. easier? 
Well, okay. and that reminds me, my daughter, when she was, um, oh God, she was about two, I got a phone call from the preschool and said, um, Patricia, uh, she stuck a rock up her nose. We can't get it out. And I was like, oh, okay, sure, I'll be right there. And so um, I got there, and she had stuck a smooth, of course, a smooth rock. And when she stuck it up there, um, and then she panicked, and she went, <gasps> it, like, lodged up her nose. And so oh. my husband. My husband being a pediatrician, I was like, okay, where do you want me to take her? He's like, well, bring her here. Let me see if I can get out. So he couldn't get it because it was smooth. So we called the ENT guy, and he's, they were like, oh, we can only schedule you with a nurse practitioner. And my husband's like, fine, because he's like, I know what's going to happen. Nurse practitioner's going to see him and go, I need to get the doctor. So that's what happened. And um, they said, okay, well, we have to go to surgery to get this oh. rock out of her nose. So I, And so it took five minutes at the most to get this rock out and he walked out he goes do you want the rock and I was like I don't want the rock and um he walked out he's like I have to give you this rock he said that is the biggest damn rock I've ever seen any kid shove up their nose and he gave it to me we still have it and we're going to make it a necklace (laughs) for her because it was like this huge part of our deductible for that year and we're like and this is your graduation gift this rock you stuck up your nose so ta-da yeah so it's ready She's 15. She thinks the story's funny. But the only thing oh, was does. that, oh, yeah, she does. But the the, okay. the other part of that was is she had stuck her arm through the chain link fence because it was pre-K, so you had, like, the ages divided up, and so she was reaching through to get to her sister. And then instead of just pulling her arm straight back, she wove it back and then wove it back again. So, like, she's woven into the chain link fence. Um, mm. And they had to call the police department, I mean the fire department, to come out and like unroll the fence to get her out. And then um, this is an expensive when I sent her, fence. yeah, she is, but she's worth it. She's cool. Um, <laughs> but um, but then you know when she went back for pre-K after the rock, they called me and they said, okay, Patricia, she stuck another rock up her nose. I was like, all right, I'll be right there. They're like, no, 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 we got it out, we got it out. I'm just, I was like, all right, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like whatever. Okay. Wow. It, yeah, you just kind of get to the point you're like, okay, sure. I'll just deal with it and whatever. I, I think it helped that I worked pediatric trauma before that. So I thought, rock up the nose? Sure. That's so good. you've seen uh, it a I'll million times? I've seen a lot, yeah. And so a rock up the yeah. nose, really not terrible. I mean, is it a crappy way to spend the afternoon? Absolutely. But um, in the grand scheme of things, like we're talking about, uh, is it the worst thing? It is not. So it's all okay. But, yeah. And that, and that kind of leads us into what you're talking about with your with your blog post. It's like, what are you laughing at? And and like these crazy things that we've come up with over this past year that are like hysterically funny now. Where before we're like, eh. Um, I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, what are some of the things that people have told you that they've found more funny now in the past year? Oh, you know, it's it's. I've heard. I hear a lot about couples spending more Mm -hmm. time together because, you know, Blaine and I have, you had mentioned we do um, a podcast and we were traveling the country and interviewing couples in business together. And we've had so many people say to us, oh, I could never work with my spouse. I can't spend that much time with my spouse. Well, guess what? You just spent that much time with your spouse. You did. And, (laughs) And so it's like this transition of all the things about the spouse that used to make them crazy that they're now starting to embrace, you know, whether it's just the random sounds that come out of your spouse. Um, (laughs) You you got to embrace it because now you're, you know, you're shut in with it. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And guys make noises that women just don't. That's true. Um, you know, but then, uh, you know, TMI, uh, but I think I was with my husband. I think we were married five years before he ever heard anything come out of my lower half. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, now I don't care. Right. Just yeah, care. you're just like, uh, sure, whatever. Yeah, I mean, yeah. But- I mean, there's certainly been a lot of, you know, people laughing at, at food attempts. You know, there's the sourdough thing was kind of nuts how that, yeah. you know, all of a sudden people were making sourdough. And then naming their sourdough, that was like every, when I, because I had posted something about that because my husband named it sourdough bubbles. 
and and names came out of the woodwork. People had all kinds of names for their sourdough. Uh, so that was strange. Um, and then and then the com- people in the city and the conversations they would have, um, the fire escape conversations I love. Yeah. Because that's as close as you could get to somebody. And that whole embracing of the new, that new world. And I'm, like in the book, there's a line of people that wait to get into the supermarket um, and it's right below uh, Kimmy and the Joy's uh, brownstone window and those conversations. And that came from, that was real, you know, people mm-hmm. just listening out the window and starting to get involved with people that just happen to be passing by. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I don't know if people have gotten better at listening this past year um, and talking. I think that, it would. It's it's easy. I mean, there's there's times that you just you know I've got to escape into you know Netflix somewhere because um, mm-hmm. I don't I don't want to talk to people anymore in my house type thing. But I I, <laughs> I wonder too if pe- more people have had just conversations, like talk to each other. You know, and, I mean, it's interesting because with and we we all could have done Zoom conversations at any time, and there's been sure. conference. Uh, programs, platforms uh, that we could use, but all of a sudden, because that's there, certain th- things have come up. You know, like my dad's been by himself in a house in New Jersey, and we created yeah. this teeny little book club of him and my husband and a friend of mine in Los Angeles, and and that became a thing. And our friends in New Hampshire that we talk to every week and. I was just talking to a girlfriend and she's got her, her weekly family calls. Well, she could have gotten on the phone with her family every week before this, but she didn't. Right. And now they do and they, and they share stuff and they share old pictures and they, they celebrate different things that have happened and it's kind of wonderful. Yeah. That connection. The, yeah, I, you're right because it's like we could have done this the whole time, and I guess people are like, no, no, I'll come over. I'll, you know, I'll see you next week. I'll, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. We'll get together. And it's this idea of yeah, but why not just every Sunday or whatever to just talk to each other and check in. And it's a big deal. And 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 I think people are saying things a little bit more like, are you okay? Yeah. And and actually yeah. wanting to hear something besides the word I'm you know fine I'm fine, like um, right. But yeah, so you know it for unfortunate reasons, uh, some good things have happened. I've really loved people posting videos about. Uh, I think it was in Spain. There was a trying to get people to exercise, and of course you know they're on, they were on lockdown at the time, and there was a fitness instructor that was on the roof of the building mm-hmm. and you saw the windows and the, and the patios and whatever for the apartments. And he was out there like getting people to exercise on their patio. So he's like in the middle and, and all these different things that people were doing, like uh, playing their musical instruments and people would yeah. run in and yes. get their guitars or when it, you know, um, like you're saying that sense of connection uh, to and- others. I actually, somebody had uh, sent me info because I had come up with in in the book. There's a there's a marathon in place where people are running, but they're in their own locations. They don't leave their locations. Right. And and then somebody sent me an article of that actually happening. Like after I had written that, somebody actually did that, uh, and which I thought was great. Uh, yeah, because it because it is a way to connect with people and do something. Oh, for sure. I, I think that like the human connection, something. people will find a way. They will adapt and they will find a way. Um, well, you know, it, it wasn't that Jurassic Park. Life will find a way. Uh, right. Now, but, Jeff Goldblum yeah, did not narrate I mean, that for me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. Uh, but now I'm just thinking, you know, he was back in the movie The Right Stuff, played an entirely different nerdy science character. But anyway. Um, right. Yeah, I mean, there's there's always a way to laugh. Always. Yes. You know, um, and and it's it's worth it. 
Right, right. Yeah, everything doesn't have to be you know, high-octane um, you know, survival mode. Sometimes survival is giving yourself permission to laugh or even to just cry uncontrollably um, or laughter through tears. Was it Dolly Parton says, laughter through tears is my favorite emotion? That's uh, from Steel Magnolias. Um, I love Dolly Parton, just by the way. I'm, yes. I'm looking at a mug with her face on it right now. I just, she's, she's she is just, great. just beyond, yeah. Have you seen um, that those two kids, they're called twins, is the new trends? Yes. And are these, yes. Yeah, and did you see the one and they, they did with Dolly Parton? Jolene? Yeah. <laughs> I love that. And and it is, you know, that riff in the beginning of Jolene is, is just pretty fantastic. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, so good. I love her. And, you know, like I've watched um, – Moonstruck, I don't know how many times during the pandemic mm-hmm. just to, to laugh. Um, yeah, there's just yeah. good people to hang out with. I, I went down a Dolly Parton rabbit hole, like watched every video I could find about her. And that took me to the share rabbit hole. And right, right. Then I had to watch Moonstruck, yeah. Right, yeah, you just kind of keep adding on for sure. Um, we watched uh, one of the things I was showing my, my kids, well, my older two, not my younger, but um, Drunk History did one about Dolly Parton, about how she, you know, was on the Porter Wagner show and left and uh, everything. It was just it that was, was a fun, yeah. I didn't realize that she had written the song "I Will Always Love You." Yeah. For Porter Wagner. Right. Because that's when she left him, and she, and she wrote that song, you know, saying that the, you know, she's leaving, but she, I, so much grace. Yes. Just and and I think that one of the reasons that everybody loves her is because she just everything is positive and with grace and not saying anything negative about somebody else. It's just wonderful. Well, and I think she's done it in a way. One of the funniest things I've heard her say was someone asked her about five or six years ago if she believed in same-sex marriages. And she said, of course I do. They should get to be as miserable as the rest of us who've been married for years. It's so, it's one of those moments of like, she balanced that response so beautifully. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, it's, you're right. She just finds a positive twist to it. Uh, and she's, she says she's flawed. I mean, she's not like she's walking around saying how great she is. Um, but yeah, it's just this really true appreciation of her own humanity. So I just, yeah, she's fabulous. Just fabulous. And a, and, and a crazy talent. Just oh, a crazy sure. talent. Yeah, the first time I ever heard her sing I Will Always Love You, because I didn't watch the Porter Wagner show, but my mom took me to see mm-hmm. the best, best little whorehouse in Texas. I think I was like eighth grade. It, you know, it was Texas. It's a Texas history thing, so we're here, so we've got to go see it. Anyway, um, and um, she sang that song in that movie. And that's, I thought, that's oh, where okay. I knew the song from. Yeah. Right, and then she made a comment years later that um, she got to put some money in the bank when she sang it initially, and then um, when Whitney Houston sang it, she got to buy the bank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just, I mean, but I was first aware of I, her first song that I remember was um, Here You Come Again. Oh, what a great song. Which I think was I her first one. kind of like crossover song, you know, out of country music. And, right. you know, like I was a little kid in Philly trying to sound like Dolly Parton. Yeah. Singing Here You Come Again. Well, I think I've, I've just drive down the road sometimes and just blast it. I'm sure my kids are in the car when I do it. Just It's mine. You know, it's just like this is my moment that I get to scream this song. So it's a great song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for talking to us today, honey. Will you come back oh, when you have your next pleasure. book out? I would love to. Absolutely love Yay. to. Yay. Well, maybe at some <laughs> point we can sit across from each other and share uh, cocktail recipes and not have olives come out our nose. Well, wouldn't that but be nice? But still laugh just the same. <laughs> I, I think that should happen. That should happen. Well, if you've been listening, I've been talking to Honey Parker. Her book, Carefulish, is out now. You can find it on Amazon, and you can go to her website, Facebook, and Instagram to follow her for all her latest and greatest posts. Thanks so much for listening here on Readers Entertainment Radio. This is Patricia W. Fisher. Keep on reading, everybody. This show brought to you by Circle of Seven Productions. 
www.cosproductions.com. Please be sure to subscribe and welcome to our circle.